John 4, 43 to 45, and I'm reading from the ESV uh, translation. It says this, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me just ask as we start, have you ever been amazed? Have you ever been amazed at something? I think it was Mike Chase a few weeks ago at the Lord's Supper uh, reminded us of the Mission Impossible movies or the TV show and how all these different things are going on and yet at the end it all comes together and you're kind of amazed and going, how did that come about? But it all worked together. Or maybe you've stood in front of a, a magnificent building downtown somewhere or uh, maybe you've seen a, a huge ship and you're thinking, how did they get all those parts to come together? In fact, uh, my son Cody, who, who works at Newport News Shipbuilding, gave me a book uh, for Christmas called Heavy Metal. had nothing to do with music. Uh, it was all about building aircraft carriers at the Newport News Shipbuilding. Uh, and I've been amazed reading through that to think of, one, all the political pressures and the financial pressures and everything, and then all these guys that build all these tiny units, well, not so tiny, but these units... And they start putting them all together in the shipyard. And these guys are in just wild positions, welding stuff together and stuff. And slowly but surely, the superstructure of, a, of an aircraft carrier comes together. And it's an amazing sight to see. Well, when I first looked at our passage today, and I looked at these three verses, I was like, well, okay, there's just three verses to use. And it's kind of between two amazing stories in the book of John. It's like, okay, we got the woman in the well that we read last week, and we're going to see another uh, great story next week. And I was like, hmm, okay. And these verses seem pretty straightforward. <laughs> I, my, my first thought was, John Tillery set me up for the shortest sermon ever. <laughs> and, and I was like, great. <laughs> but then I began to study the verses, and I was amazed at these simple verses. I was amazed that, these verses actually help us to go back and take a look at what's already taken place in John, and they help us transition to what's going forward. I think by the time I'm finished, I hope you're amazed again, not by what I'm saying, but be amazed at God's word. Be amazed at how all these scriptures that we're going to look at today that tie around these three verses, how God weaves them all together to build a, a, a great picture that I hope you'll, you'll be encouraged by. So, as we look at these three verses, three simple verses, but you can break these verses into three, three very simple topics. Verse 43, we're going to see some background. And then in verse 44, we're going to see this amazing statement that Jesus had made. And then in verse 45, we're going to see the reception that Jesus gets as he goes to his hometown. And overarching of this whole thing, if you looked in the bulletin or if you looked at the, the sheet in there, there's our overall theme, which I think is a bit of a conundrum because the title of the sermon is Rejection and Acceptance. And it's like, well, how does that all tie together? Well, we're going to find out this morning. We're going to take a look at John chapter 4, and we're going to find all that out. So let's start with the background. Starting in verse 43, it said, After the two days he departed for Galilee. Now, verse 43 gives us a little bit of background to what had just taken place. And we know from last week, John Tillery taught us all about the woman at the well and that whole Samaritan town. But I think this also begs us to look back and say, well, what happened leading up to that? Let's take a look. Let's take a brief jaunt back through the first three and a half chapters of the book of John that we've been looking at this year. And so I'm going to go through some of these. 
Uh, there's a couple passages you may say, hey, he didn't mention that one, but I'm going to bring them up later. So if you're, if you're thinking a, a favorite part, if I missed it, I, I think I'll get to it. But in our background, John chapter 1, if you remember, we started off with John the Baptist. And remember, John the Baptist makes this incredible proclamation of, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Talking about Jesus. And then we saw Jesus go on in, chap- in chapter 1, calling his first disciples. At this point where we are in John 4, he's got six disciples, but we all know that is going to grow to 12 as well. And we know, John doesn't state this specifically in the gospel, but we know Jesus is about 30 years old at this point. So that was John chapter 1. And then in John chapter 2, Jesus' earthly ministry starts. Remember the wedding at Cana? Remember the turning of water into wine and that miracle? And Jesus starts... um, his, his earthly ministry there. As a matter of fact, sneak preview, next week we're going to look at the second miracle in Cana. So make sure you come back to hear about that one. Then in John chapter 3, we got to John chapter 3, one of the more famous chapters in the Bible, and we saw that Jesus and his disciples had traveled south, down from the Galilee region, down to Capernaum. And then they had made their way to Jerusalem, where, if you remember, Jesus cleansed the temple. Remember him cleansing the temple of all the money changers? And we had that in John chapter 3. And then, what I find one of the amazing things in John chapter 3, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Remember Jesus? And, he, and, and Nicodemus comes to him. Didn't it amaze you, though, that here was a Jewish leader coming to Jesus that had no clue on how to get to heaven? He had no clue on, on that one. <laughs> and, Je- and Jesus had to tell him about uh, um, being born again. Well, in John chapter 4, as we started this chapter, we saw that Jesus and disciples then go from Jerusalem and they turn northward again. And it tells us early in John chapter 4, I think it's verses 3 and 4, tell us that they had a stated goal of going back to Galilee, but not before a very purposeful stop in Samaria, as we saw last week and that John had told us about. And let me just add to that, speaking of that, that, that whole uh, scenario with the woman at the well and the, and the people in the town of Samaria, let me just add one thing to what John had already uh, talked about last week. And that's this. If you look back at that whole... Uh, encounter with the woman well there's no miracles that whole story is not based on any miracles or signs or wonders that jesus did it's based on his words look back at john 442 if you're in your bible take a look at john 442 because it says this they said to the woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world I love the way, uh, as I study this, I heard a, a pastor in Florida, a guy by the name of uh, Ken McDuffie, and he put it this way when he was talking about uh, Jesus' encounter with, with that Samaritan town. He said, they heard the word preach the word. A little play on, on the, the words of John, but I, I, I like the way he put that. So we saw that John, in the beginning, John was telling us in the beginning of chapter 4 that they're heading back to Galilee. And so then we get to verse 43, and... After two very successful days, they're heading back to Galilee, to his hometown. Let me just add a little bit more background for you, just a couple things that that aren't in the chapters we read. Jesus is actually going to spend about 16 to 20 months, depending on on how you look at it, uh, of his total earthly ministry in that region of Galilee. Uh, When you compare that to about 36 months of total earthly ministry, that's a lot of time he spent in Galilee around his hometown. And I would also tell you that In the book of John or the gospel of John, 
you're not going to find that many stories about his work in the Galilee region. You're going to find most of those in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you want to study more about what took place there, you've got to go to the other Gospels. But John uses a few uh, of those instances to build on things. Once again, Scripture is just building on itself here, and we can put it all together. So, thinking back to this overall picture of acceptance and rejection... I think we can say that the background of this is Jesus is leaving Samaria, heading for Galilee, but there was acceptance in Samaria, wasn't there? The town in Samaria had accepted Jesus because of what he had said. And so with that, we then get to verse 44 in our passage today. Verse 44 says this, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, or your version may say in his own country. Matter of fact, that, that phrase for hometown or home country is actually used six times in Scripture, and all six times it's actually referring to Nazareth. So he's heading for his hometown. And you might say, okay, but where did this statement come from? If you look at verse 43, it tells us he's on his way to Galilee. And verse 45 says, okay, he's arrived in Galilee. But you probably think, where in the world did this verse 44 come from? Why is this in here? Why, why did this mention of this statement about a prophet being without honor in his hometown? Well, I think there is a little bit of a, a prophetic note to that, and that we're going to see that some will believe in Galilee, but the vast majority are not. And I think we have to take a look at why Jesus makes this statement. And I think it's pretty simple for us to say, if we were to go back to our hometown... Are we going to get honor and, and praise and stuff? Probably not. And I think one of the issues is familiarity. People know us. They know us and all of our faults. And so if I were to go back to my hometown, you'd probably hear, oh, well, that's just Ken. And you could probably say the same thing of, oh, well, that's just insert your own name. But they'd look at you and say, yeah, I kind of remember that time he lied about breaking that window in his room. Or... I remember some time he didn't use the best language in front of me. It's like, oh, they know all of our faults, don't they? And so familiarity does seem to bring a little bit of an inhibiting factor to someone receiving honor in their hometown. But think about this. When we studied this earlier today in the, in the Lord's Supper, we're talking about the perfect sinless son of God here. And so Jesus, that perfect sinless son of God, is heading for his hometown. And so he makes this statement about a prophet having no honor. And he makes this statement, actually, in all four Gospels. He men it's mentioned here, but he actually this statement is one of those things that's actually mentioned in all four Gospels. And I think it's worth our time uh, to take a look. And let's read through the other Gospels to see where the statement was used, because I think it'll give us a picture of why the statement is inserted here in verse 44. So, if you've got your Bibles, time to turn. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13. I'll try to race all of you that are on your phones. But like I said, you'll win. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 53 to 59. Matthew 13, 53 to 59, read this. And when Jesus had finished these parables and went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished at what he said. Where did this man get these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get these things? And they took offense at him. 
But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Once again, did you catch that? What was their first reaction to Jesus? They didn't see the perfect sinless son of God, did they? They're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't that just the carpenter's son? Kind of like somebody would be looking, isn't that just Ken? And I, I think the implication here is that, yeah, he's not a prophet. He's not worthy of honor and stuff. Well, who's, who's he? Where did he get all, these, all this teaching and in the, in these uh, actions he's doing? And look at what their reaction was, though. In verse 57, they took offense at him. Well, that was Matthew. We've already seen John. That was Matthew. Let's go to Mark. Turn forward a few pages. Let's go to the book of Mark and go to chapter 6. And we're going to read the first six verses in Mark 6. Mark 6, 1 through 6 says, He, meaning Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the, about among the villages teaching. So once again, they get the same question. That his, his authority is questioned right away. Wait a minute. Who's he? How are these things being done by his hands? They gave him no honor. And did you catch it again? What was their reaction? They took offense at him again, didn't they? Same thing that we saw in Matthew. They took offense. But I love this passage because John uh, Mark 6 tells us Jesus' reaction to them. <laughs> did you catch that? He marveled because of their lack of unbelief. And then he went out among the villages teaching. So we get Jesus' reaction to them. Well, finally, let's look at the last one. And we're going to go to, uh, let's go to Luke. Go forward again to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, verses 16 to 29. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but I think we've got the time here. Let's take the time to, to hear what, what's in here, because I think it's a, it'll help put everything together. Luke four sixteen to 29, read this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll, the scroll and found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then all, who, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Here it comes again. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, one of the prophets, 
When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there many, were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And here it comes. When they heard these things, and all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Again, did you catch it? He claims fulfillment. He's reading, uh, if you want to look it up in, in your Bible, he's reading uh, Isaiah 61. And that's the passage he reads. And when he claims that fulfillment, first they're talking about, oh, the nice words. But then, what's the reaction to him? They went beyond the taking offense. They dragged him out of the, out of the city and they were going to throw him down the cliff. They were trying to kill him. That was their reaction. It, it's, it's amazing. Jesus would receive no honor in Nazareth in his hometown. So, going back to our verses, can you see why this may be inserted there? Can you understand what Jesus is expecting as, he, as they head back north and he's heading for his hometown in verse 43? What he's expecting when he gets there. And so, I think that gives us a picture by looking at, at those scriptures what he's expecting and why verse 44 is in there. Well, then we come to verse 45. And we're going to see how Jesus was accepted in, or how he was received in Galilee. And we're going to have to look and say, well, was it acceptance or rejection? John four forty-five, the third of our verses today. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. That starts off so, when it has that, that word so at the beginning there. It's just tying that statement that he's just made with what he's about to say. So it's just a, a tying word, a connector there. And it says, so they welcomed him. And you're like, oh, well, that's good. We, maybe, we've got, maybe we've got some acceptance here. And it sounds really good, but let's dig a little bit deeper and see what's really behind that. The verse clearly tells us, why did they accept him? Well, look again. It says, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So they had seen some things that they liked seeing in Jerusalem. But let me ask you, does Scripture teach us that faith comes through seeing? No, it doesn't. Listen to Romans ten seventeen. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Think back again to the Samaritans in verse 42 that we read from last week. Think back, why did they believe? They believed because they heard the word of God. Jesus spent two days there, and they even says, because of what they had heard, that they believed. I love how all these things start, start weaving together. Matter of fact, let me just jump. Fred mentioned these verses this morning, and I've got to read it, because it just uh, jumped out at me as he read them. In 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, and it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. And that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's not by sight. Sight's not the issue here. It's hearing Jesus' words and what he said. Now, in the verse, it says they believe because of what they saw Jesus do at the temple. Remember, I told you I didn't read all the verses in some of those chapters or tell you some of those stories. Go back to John chapter 2. 
John chapter 2, and let's see what Jesus did at the temple at that feast. John 2, and we're just going to read verses 23 to 25. We'll give us the answer. John 2, 23 to 25, read, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. See, they believed because they saw him do some signs, and they wanted to see some, probably were looking to see some more signs. But then did you get Jesus' reaction to that? They believed in Jesus based on what they saw, but Jesus didn't believe in them, did he? He knew what was in man. He knew that that faith they were showing was kind of a false faith that was based only on what they saw and seeing some, some neat things and some signs. Now, a little bit of a spoiler alert here. We're going to see this again when we get to John chapter 6 in several weeks. Uh, we're going to get to John chapter... matter of fact, go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. We'll take a, we'll take a minute here to, to look at this. John chapter 6, go to verse 35 and 36. We're going to go to verses 35 to 41. Let me just read it. I don't think I'll steal anybody's thunder. You still have to promise you'll come back on that Sunday as well. So John chapter 6, 35 and 36 said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And then Jesus goes on. Let me jump down to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and raise Him up on the last day. Now, let me just point out in verse 40 there where it says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, that's not talking about physical sight. It's not talking about physically seeing Jesus. It's actually, the, the meaning behind that, that is more of a seeing through the eyes of faith. It's not a, a physical eyes. It's through your, the, 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 the eyes of faith is probably a good way to, to put that. And so look at verse 41 in, in John 6. So the Jews, once again, what did they do? They grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So once again, I think we're seeing here in Jerusalem, rejection. In, in his hometown, we're going to see more rejection. They grumbled at him. So back to verse 45 in our passage. The initial reception in Galilee was welcoming. There was some acceptance because of what they had seen. But it seems that's all they wanted. All they wanted was to see some more signs and see some more, some more miracles. And I think this is where the lesson starts for us. Is this what we're looking for today? Are we here, are we here just to see something amazing or, or, or just to see a sign or to, to hear something that, that we might want to hear? Are we focused on showing respect and honor to Jesus? Do we give him honor? Or... Are we self-seeking and self-focused in what our, our goals are and why we're here? How many people today do you know that just want to see something amazing? They have no interest, though, in hearing the gospel. Many people you might hear say, man, if I saw something, if I saw a sign or a wonder, or I saw a miracle, I'd believe. Well, isn't that exactly what the Bible told us they said back in Jesus' day? And did they believe after they saw it? Maybe for a little bit of a short time, but no, overall, they did not. That's not the key. Many people, they say they might want to see it. Listen to what, uh, I know John Tiller alluded to this passage from last week. Listen to what Peter says in John six sixty-eight and 69. It says, Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know 
that you are the Holy One of God. See, it's hearing the words of Jesus Christ. It's hearing what God is telling us in His Word in Scripture. Many people today just simply want a Jesus that's nothing more than a fancy magician or somebody who's going to meet their need. You know, they're, hey, I want, I need healing or I need wealth or I want fame or I want and, you know, all the eyes that are in there. And that's how they come to Jesus on their own terms. They don't come looking for salvation. But there's a grave danger to that philosophy. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, don't be fooled. As we saw earlier, Jesus knows what's in the heart of man, doesn't he? He knows what our true motivations are. He knows what's in our heart. A lot of people come to Jesus twice a year, don't they? We just celebrated Easter last week. How many people do you know that come to church on Easter and on Christmas? Exactly. And then the rest of the year, the other 50 Sundays of the year, they're off living their life the way they want to live. But they come those two Sundays. Matter of fact, I had an, a, uh, an American literature professor in college, and he was a really good professor. <laughs> and we would read, you know, he, we read through quite a number of novels during that, that semester of that year that I was in his class. And I would chat with him afterwards uh, on a lot of the books, and we'd talk about what, what they meant and what the, what the point was. And one day we were talking about a book, and the topic of religion came up. So I told him what I believed, and then he told me, and, and, and this will go right along with what I was saying, his whole philosophy was he made sure that he went to church on Christmas and on Easter, made sure he was good with God by showing up those two times a year, and, get this, he really made sure he was secure with God because he would throw $20 into the offering plate as well when he was there. <laughs> Folks, I can guarantee you God was not impressed with his two times a year uh, attendance or his $20. But there's a lesson in that for us. We need to examine ourselves. Why am I coming to church? Why am I here? Am I coming because I'm just trying to make a show or I'm trying to think, oh, well, if I just show up, I'm good enough. That'll get me into heaven. No, we've got to hear the words of God. We've got to respond. We've got to have faith. We've got to hear what the word says. And we've got to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Remember I said there were some other verses I didn't read. John 3, John 3, 16 and 17, some of the most famous verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. John Tillery mentioned last week, he told us today was the day of salvation. Well, we've had a week since then, and luckily we're all still here, but none of us are guaranteed another week. So let me tell you again, today is the day of salvation. Don't let today pass by without knowing that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Hear the words of the gospel and follow it. Follow the truth. Find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, which I'm probably going to guess would be a majority of this room, what do you want? What does Jesus want? He might be saying, well, what does he want from me? What does he want me to do? Well, in Luke nine twenty three to 25, Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? We're to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Or maybe, here's a great passage. If you would just want a short verse to say, hey, what can I use to guide my life or what should I be doing or focusing on? Listen to Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's the, here's the simple things. Focus on these. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Very simple steps, but things that we can focus on every single day in our lives. So as we wrap up our look at John 4, 43 to 45, three simple verses, but we can learn from them. Are we going to be like the folks in Jerusalem who actually saw some signs and wonders and yet still rejected Jesus? Or are we going to be like his hometown where we're going to let familiarity keep us from the word, keep us from hearing God and keep us from seeing Jesus and salvation found in him? Or we're going to be like the Samaritans who heard the word of God and they accepted him. They accepted Jesus. Will you and I accept or reject Jesus? We've seen examples in these verses of both of them. But let me also tell you, the one other thing we need to be doing is tell others about this. Tell others about salvation found in Jesus. Tell them about how they can be saved and then let the Holy Spirit work. You might just see someone go from rejection to acceptance. So, having looked at the Word of God and having it preached to you, I would tell you again, you are not being dismissed today. You are being sent. You are being sent to take up your cross daily and to follow Jesus. You're being sent to stand for the truth, to tell others about salvation in Jesus Christ and let them know the acceptance they can find and the salvation they can find in Him alone. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. It truly is amazing. Even when we think there's just simple verses, when we start looking at it in whole, we realize just what a precious gift you've given us in your word and that we have it. We have it in so many forms, Lord, in, in, in paper, in electronic versions. We have it on the screens. We, we can see it in so many ways. We can hear it preached to us on the radio. And uh, Lord, we've given it to us in so many ways. Lord, help us to be faithful doers of that word. Help us to hear it. Help us to respond. If anyone in here has not responded to the gospel, Lord, may they respond today because it is the day of salvation. And Lord, help us to walk daily with you and to do what you have asked us. So we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, we just thank you that we can be amazed at once again who you are and how great you are. So we just thank you and lift up the rest of our day now to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.